Dear Dimwitty, are you out there? Can you hear us? We hope you're doing okay. You've missed so much, Dimwitty. We need to catch you up on everything that's happened in DuckTales. We're here to recap and discuss each episode of DuckTales 2017 for the benefit of our close personal friend, Dimwitty Duck, who was last seen on October 12th, 2011 in the comic Dangerous Currency. If you're out there, Dimwitty, we're coming for you. Just hold on. Hello and welcome back to Dear Dimwitty, a DuckTales recap podcast with me, Monty. And me too, Marty. I've finally stopped trying to box you out. I'm, I've given up. It's <laughs> over. <laughs> You've um, stopped trying to edge me out of the, the, the fame and glory. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so this week we are looking at the Great Dime Chase, which is mm-hmm. the fourth episode of our new DuckTales, and was originally the third episode, um, which is the context that I'm, I'm used to viewing it in. Yes, and I think a lot of people uh, will be used to seeing this as the third episode, because it was it was aired in a fucked up order, it was originally put on Disney Plus in a fucked up order, um, mm. but uh, watching it in this order I think is much better for yeah. just like consuming it as a, as a series, I think it works a lot better. Yeah, the story construction, I think we went into it a lot the last episode. Um, the construction of the narrative and the introduction of concepts and characters is uh, mm-hmm. has obviously had a lot of thought put into it. Uh, so yes. it's very sad that that all got fucked up. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, we talked we talked a bit about it in, the Andrew, in, uh, in our Neverest episode, but that episode kind of, in the context of the original order comes across as a bit of a dud that's retracing old ground because it's in the middle of the yeah. season. Yeah, because especially because it's come after a lot of the like like the mysteries has been like the mystery's been started. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we just kind of go to this random one shot that has no real bearing on anything else and it feels very a bit yeah. of a letdown. And it's actually a very strong episode in in uh when placed properly in the in the series. Mm. Uh it does a lot of it does a lot of really good work in establishing the tone of the series, which is that it's fucked up, fucked up and evil, and people <laughs> die. People die all the time in Ducktales. <laughs> we have As some a, news. Hey, there was new Ducktales. We have some we have news, news and, that's the, and the news is new Ducktales. Yeah, so our episodes come out on a Tuesday, and Ducktales episodes air on a Monday. So, like. Mm-hmm. If you ever want to watch a new episode of DuckTales and then listen to two people uh, talk um, about DuckTales in a podcast that was recorded several days before the episode was released, so <laughs> will satisfy you in no way whatsoever, you know, that's always an option. Um, but we did watch The Phantom and the Sorceress. That came out last week. Um, yes. And it was fucking insane. It was a little bit crazy. What's happened? I mean, we're not going to, you know, go into it, obviously, because... Uh... Yeah, not everyone's had a chance to read it. Um, Read it. Uh, Not everyone's had a chance to watch it yet. Um, Yes, but um, in broad terms, it was a fucking insane episode. Um, I I I I enjoyed watching it very much. Um, It made me say "what the fuck" I think several times. Yeah, we Um, had the very pleasant experience of uh, of of doing a little watch party for that episode. um, Yes, which essentially meant that. Uh, we had to keep kind of taking breaks to say what 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 what. 
fuck fuck. <laughs> it was really, really good. Um, I really I enjoyed uh kind of uh, huddling up in front of the metaphorical TV with um, uh, was it just us and Lynn? I think it, it was, was just us and um, Lynn. Yeah, yeah. So that was good. Um, and then uh, this week we have they put a moonlander on the earth. I think is the title of the episode. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very excited for that. I love Penny. I can't wait to see my two favorite little children, Dewey and Webby, and their evil, violent, alien aunt. <laughs> she is. I'm so excited. I am so very excited to see to see um, Penny in a relatively normal situation as as situations in Duckburg go. Yeah. Um. I can't wait for her to be violent, um, mm-hmm. and a little evil, and to mm-hmm. love killing. Yes. Um, and hang out with uh with two spe- two special little kids who I love very much. I can't wait for Webby to be obsessed with her. Frankly. Yes, I can't wait for Webby to get just the worst role model imaginable. <laughs> uh, he's this really awesome, incredible, like cool alien lady who is so cool and loves to fight and kill. And yeah. um <laughs> And um of course Webby's gonna idolize her. If Webby doesn't idolize Penumbra, then there is something wrong in the writer's room at Duck Yeah, there's right. some something's gone horribly wrong. Uh, <laughs> I really like it because Webby's kind of role models are all insane women. Um Yes. She's got like Beakley, obviously, crazy paranoid spy, very violent, loves violence, only respects people through violence. Um, <laughs> she friendship through violence. Um, she's got Della Duck, who she's very similar to, but is insane. Yes. Like, on the record, like, the history of her actions, she does mad shit constantly and is extremely irresponsible. Um, and she's very... also lived on the moon for 10 years, so she doesn't know how to act anyway. Yeah, so absolutely terrible person to, to model your life after. <laughs> um, and now, hopefully, Penumbra, um, a violent, violent individual. I love it. I love it. I am very, very excited. I'm really, really excited for this episode. Oh, there's some really good ones coming up. I'm, um, I'm honestly thrilled that DuckTales is like back in action. Um, it was very, very funny and kind of stupid, the timing of our, our starting this podcast. We really should have started this a few months ago, rather than when DuckTales was about to come back. Yeah, we really should have started in the hiatus to give everybody something to do, um, to kind of rewatch <laughs> DuckTales and prepare themselves. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> Hindsight's twenty twenty. Well, yeah. Um, also... I'm really excited for DuckTales to add to its portfolio another insane woman. Mm-hmm. We have so many women in DuckTales who are so many different layers of fucked up and evil. I love it so dearly. I think that's incredible. I love the evil woman roster. We've got, like, we've got Beakley. She's evil. We've got Della Duck, who's fucked up. We've got Penumbra, who's evil. We've got Goldie, who's evil. <laughs> We've got Quackfaster, who's both evil and fucked up. Yeah. Um, we've got Magic Cat, who is evil. Uh, we've got Ma Beagle, who is evil. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, we have Gandra D, who's evil. We have Gandra D, who's evil. 
And they're all different <laughs> kinds of evil as well, which I really like. You've got Incredible. like war criminals and like <laughs> mob bosses and just like fucked up scientists and oh and fucking Black Heron. She's evil. Oh Black Heron, yes. She's very incredible. fucked up. Oh. <laughs> I love the woman roster in DuckTales. I love how they're all absolutely insane. Um, this is what this is what like um th- th- this is what female representation should be like in modern like TV. It's, honestly, they should all though, be fucked up and evil because there is such there is such a, a surplus of like fucked up and evil male characters who like people go crazy over. Um, we need these like fucked up and evil women. Because they're exactly. so much fun. You never had like they are incredible. Growing up like characters in cartoons and stuff. They weren't fun. You know? The women. Mm-hmm. They they weren't allowed to be. They had to be Women like, women were women were wives. They were Or 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 if the or they were the girl. Yeah. Uh, they were the girl or they were mothers and wives and generally the kind of shared trait there tend to be being like a buzzkill. And mm-hmm. being like overly responsible and nagging and this kind of thing, um, which says a lot about how like the writers of those shows viewed women in general. <laughs> but it meant that there was like fucking, like of course you became obsessed with like the fun guy characters who got to do whatever the fuck they wanted, because yeah. the women characters were like awful. They were hardly yeah. written. Um. So I love that we get some absolutely insane, insane individuals. I am so happy for like like the young girls of today that are watching DuckTales and seeing seeing Webby and seeing all the women on this show and thinking, oh, I can be fucked up and evil too. <laughs> you can follow your heart's desire and be fucked up and evil. And please do. And that's beautiful. Please do. Message to all the little girls out there. Please be fucked up and evil. <laughs> it is your birthright. Please survive. Um, <laughs> yeah, so anyway. The new episode should be fun. We got some fun evil evilness in our last episode as well. Um, we are generally, I think, the lineup of upcoming episodes seems to be pretty promising. Yeah, I'm thinking about it because we have um after this one we have the the Goldie episode. Um, is, oh, the, is, the, is it the Goldie episode? Yeah, it's the Goldie episode. Um, where they go to Florida and see the Fountain of Youth. Oh, she's she in that one. I didn't actually yeah, know she was the, in that one. Yeah, she is. Um, she and Scrooge get turned into teenagers. <laughs> oh, awesome! Yeah, um, I'm pretty sure that's what it, I'm pretty sure that's what it said in the in the summary. And then we have. Then we have Let's Get Dangerous of Darkwing Duck, and we get and to see Gollum. <laughs> so this, so that episode is notable just because everybody who has like seen Darkwing Duck is going absolutely fucking insane over it, and everybody who hasn't is like, "Who the fuck is Goslin? Why are you people <laughs> being so insane?" But the answer to that is, um, you is watch Darkwing Duck and meet meet yeah. your daughter. Meet your personal daughter, Gosselin. The thing is, you only really need to watch the pilot of Darkwing Duck. It is such yeah, a strong really, like, fucking pilot. It is such a fantastic pilot. It like it I it, it really, really hooks you immediately with um this mm. perfect little girl, her rude bitchy old father. Yeah. Um and launchpad's there. What more could you want? It's the perfect <laughs> what show. What more could you want? That is like 
<laughs> the hierarchy of needs. That's the base. <laughs> Uh, you've got daughter, you've got Rudolph, man, and you've got Launchpad. It's perfect. It's the trifecta. Um, mm -hmm. All shows can only have two, but Dark Queen Dark Man should have three. Um, <laughs> also, if you have a Disney Plus uh, subscription to watch DuckTales, then you should be also be able to watch Dark Queen Duck on it. So um, yes. check it out. Uh, watch the pilot. Have a good time with in the fully in the the '90s cartoons. Uh, world of Darkwing Duck, which is fucking hilarious. It is very, very funny. It's like, like, unironically, even, you know, even even outside of just, like, how well constructed the pilot is, like, uh, it, it's, it's also just a very funny show. I really it's enjoy it. It's a very funny it. show. It's, it's, uh, it's a lot of, it's a very sarcastic kind of rapid-fire gags kind of show. Yes. Um, yeah. and we got Jim Cummings, who will, uh, it's just a very famous voice actor in general. He does a lot of a lot of voices, very prolific. Um, but we mm -hmm. are going to see him later, specifically as the voice of the original Darkwing Duck in Ducktales, in our Ducktales. Yeah. Um, so we're going to get to hang out with Jim Cummings a bit. Um, and of course, uh, Chris Dimitopoulos, who uh -huh. um, is our Storkules, our new Darkwing mm -hmm. Duck, and of course. Uh, Mickey Melon Mouse. <laughs> uh, three very, very strong roles. Very strong roles. He was also in Arrested Development. Anyway. <laughs> Is this just a fun little tidbit? Yeah, that was just a fun little bit. Um, shall we uh, dive into our episode? Yeah, so um, yeah, so we watched The Great Dime Chase this week. The Great Time Chase does a lot of work in the overall narrative of the story. The overall kind of construction of the season, really. Um, mm -hmm. So in these first, like, I would say five or six episodes, this is where, like, a lot of the base kind of foundational elements of the show are still being introduced. You can't introduce them all at once in the pilot because fucking it still has to function as an episode <laughs> you can't just make an entire pilot out of introducing various characters and locations and not actually doing anything it would be yeah. like it's would be way too hard to follow if we actually went to all these places um so we go to the money bin which is our other major setting We've yes. got kind of the mansion and the money bin as the two main locations in Duckburg that we'll be kind of like ping-ponging between um, for the rest of the season. The money bin is also going to be a fairly significant um, element of uh, the later season plot. Mm -hmm. Now, so we get introduced in this episode. We have the money bin as a location. We get the business side of McDuck Enterprises. So we get this important context filling out the other half of Grooge's life. Um, so, particularly with the revised order, Neverest introduced what Scrooge's main identity is as an explorer. Yes. yes. And this is the other side of that. This is the very boring business side, which he is very good at, but is largely kind of bored by. Um, yeah. But he kind of recognizes the importance of it, so he doesn't really complain that much. And he's uh, proud of himself and proud of his employees. Uh, so we get the business side of McDuck Enterprises, which is a very important element. Uh, we get the introduction of Gyro Gearloose, um, mm -hmm. our favorite guy, and also Lil Bulb. 
Um, and Gyro's introduction is quite important, as is Lil Bulb's, because his inventions are going to pretty frequently serve as plot devices. Um, yeah. So he's a very useful character to have in a story anyway, just because, like, you can always just throw up, like, Gyro's invented something, you know? Um, mm -hmm. And also, he's a classic character um, from the original uh, DuckTales that, you know, we need to kind of keep going. We also get... Quackfaster's archives. So mm -hmm. we get Quackfaster and the archives themselves, which are really just a plot device for this episode, but are still important. Um, yeah, yeah. But we get two very important final elements here that are introduced in this, which are the two are going to be kind of the focal points of the two long running plot lines of season one, which is the number one dime. Mm -hmm. And the Spear of Selene as yes. a concept. So these are actually just going to be, the, the rest of the plotline is going to focus around, kind of whirlpool around these two elements, even though the plotlines yeah, themselves yeah. are separate. Um, so this episode is a really, really important one in setting up the, found, the building blocks of the, uh, of the rest of the season. Yeah. In, and that's in, just, in that that's sense, just in before that, in we get into does. the episode. Yeah, yeah. This is just uh, this is kind of setting it all up. Um, yeah. In that sense, it does. Um, it does. It does kind of make a little bit bit of sense for this to be number three in the original Aaron order. Uh, this one was only shifted one episode over, so I think for it's not as episode it's itself, not as egregious. It, I think. Yeah, it is not as egregious as moving Neverest. Um, mm. So like this, this being episode three is like fine. Like that, that's fine. That that, that yeah. you know, makes enough sense because it's it's early on. It's introducing you know plot lines that are going to continue. Um, but then when you look at it in the context of everything else and how much everything else has shifted around, it is uh, it's just kind of part of just like the big disaster. Yeah. Um, I also feel that this episode benefits a lot from immediately following Neverest because a lot yes. of what was set up in Neverest is continuing here. So yes. we get obviously. Uh, what I mentioned a little bit was that uh, yeah, in the in the original order, we are first introduced to Scrooge pretty much as a businessman rather than as an adventurer. And by mm -hmm. putting Neverest in in front, we kind of get like establish him as an adventurer and also establish his past as an adventurer. Yeah, yeah. And as well as that, um, we get uh, uh, as well as that because Scrooge is pretty much a rational old man in this episode. Um. By putting Neverest first, we kind of establish him as being a little bit crazy and unstable for reasons <laughs> unknown. Um, so Neverest in its original place in the viewing order seems like a weird step back as for Scrooge's character. He just seems yeah, to be he completely he, he crazy gets, out of nowhere. He does seem to get very unhinged if you put that one later in the season. Yeah, and also, like, stop caring about the safety of his nephews at all. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. it's kind of an insane episode uh, in that place in the viewing order because it appears to have undone a lot of character work when really it's just the character work in that context hasn't actually been done yet. It's just in the yeah, wrong exactly. place. Um, yeah. Also, um, we get uh, the Webby and Dewey team set up in Neverest, uh, which continues on in this episode. Yes, um, and it, it, it continues in a more serious capacity, I guess, here, because um, in, yeah. in, in, the, in the Neverest episode, they're kind of allies because 
they both kind of want to do the same thing in that they both like, uh, you know, they're both kind of thrill seekers. Yeah. Whereas Huey has his goal, Louis has his goal. Um, mm-hmm. But in this episode, they're much more deliberately teamed up. Um, yeah. In search of a, a much more long term, uh, a, a much more long term goal rather than just getting a, like you know sledding down the side of a mountain and dying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So in the original viewing order, like again, the Great Time Chase doesn't really suffer that much from being like pushed up an episode. But without that additional context of Neverest, um, the Webby and Chewie team seems kind of shoved together based solely on their interactions in Day Trip of Doom. Um, yeah. Which is really just kind of step one in building their kind of relationship up to the point where they do team up in the Dime Chase. So yeah. Neverest is a little stepping stone in that regard, but it's kind of an important one. It seems a bit jarring otherwise. Yeah, it does. So, we actually get into the episode itself. And... <laughs> yeah, all that talk, we haven't even actually talked about a single shot from this episode. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is literally just what this episode is introducing. It's doing a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Um, so, the first thing we see is Ottoman Empire. And we get yes. Johnny and Randy starring in my favorite fictional TV show. Because I fucking love <laughs> Ottoman Empire. I do. I do love these kind of, like, these kind of, like, it, it's a very nice parody of, like, the shitty, like, reality shows on, like, HGTV. And, yeah, like, and, like, specifically you know. reality shows that are around, like, obscure crafts. Yeah, the really like, specific tricks. ones. Yeah, yes. so, like, Louis in this episode goes from hate-watching Ottoman Empire to getting really invested in it, which was my exact trajectory with Forged in Fire, which is about making <laughs> I do love Forged in Fire. Forged in Fire fucking rules. But I, I definitely love st- <laughs> I definitely started it off going like, look at these fucking stupid stupid men who are obsessed with knives. Ha ha ha. And then like, like by the end of like watching like three episodes in a row, you're like you, you can't you can't you can't quench that that soon. It's gonna snap. Dude. And you're like <laughs> yelling at the screen. Uh I fucking love it. So it's a it's a very faithful, it's a very faithful kind of parody of that kind of thing. Uh, we also get yeah. one of my Ottoman Empire is also one of my favorite names for a fictional TV show. <laughs> it's really good. <laughs> it's very good. Um, but mostly, this kind of establishes what Louis has been, what his routine has been since moving into the mansion, which is that he is drinking a, a lot of fizzy drinks. He's watching TV, and he's generally kind of wasting money because he's fully indulging himself um, by allowing himself to like waste money and all this kind of stuff that he's never been able to do before yeah um, so scourge kind of walks in on him doing that and isn't super happy about it um, he's very like he's very concerned he's like um he because because louis like reaching for the remote and it's like a foot away from him on the lounge and Scrooge is like do you have any plans for today <laughs> and then he's like oh micro watch micro watch tv on the big tv <laughs> He's kind of treating Louis like a depressed adult rather than like a bored child. Yeah! yeah. <laughs> He's like, oh my god. Should you like get a job? I don't know. <laughs> children, right? That really is what he does. He's like, oh my god, you're depressed. I need to get you a job. <laughs> he doesn't know what children are. He really doesn't. Oh my god, it's so funny. Um, so he decides incredible. to teach Louis the value of a hard day's work um, 
And he kind of physically drags Louis out of the building. <laughs> yeah. I love. He kind of grabs, grabs him by the hood and drags him along the floor. And it's a pattern that's going to continue throughout this episode as Scrooge just like deciding that the best way to deal with a child is to just grab them and drag them along the floor. Um, there is a lot of manhandling of, of, of Louis in this episode. Yeah. Um, and we also, as they're leaving, we get to see Dewey sneaking into Webby's room. Um, yes. But I do want to note about the hard day's work thing is that this is kind of a lesson that Scrooge is going to continue to try and like teach Louis throughout this episode and throughout the series as a whole. But it's not really going to stick because Louis no. has some important context that Scrooge doesn't have, which is that hard work doesn't always pay off because yes. that's what's been drilled into him by virtue of growing up with Donald Duck, who was constantly working hard and gets fucking nothing. Yeah, so he's, because Louis, Louis has grown up watching, uh, watching Donald go, like, you know, work shitty jobs and do the absolute most to take care of these kids, and then continually, just barely, uh, float above poverty. So, of course, Louis is going to think, well, okay, we're rich now, I'm not going to try, because, like, he's got yeah. it made. And he, in, in, in his mind, there's, like, if, like, because hard work has no kind of direct correlation to paying off in Louis's mind. Yeah. There is, they, 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 they have nothing to do with each other. Like, no. Donald tried hard all his life and, you know, managed to provide for them, yeah, but it wasn't like, uh, you know, it yeah, it wasn't didn't, like, um, it, it wasn't um, proportional to the amount of work that he was putting in. Exactly. Um, and also because of the kind of way that Donald's life works, a lot of the times the harder he works, the worse things go for him. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So it seems to be inversely proportional in some cases. Um, yes. And also he's kind of seeing this advice as being give, as coming from Scrooge, who is a different case because he's a fucking trillionaire. So of course he's yeah, going to exactly. say hard work pay, pays off when he's like, I mean, I know this isn't what we would like, we're kind of supposed to be thinking about when it comes to Scrooge. But he's benefiting off other people's labor because he's a trillionaire and fucking nobody who's a trillionaire has made every cent of their money. Exactly. The thing is, the thing is, Scrooge McDuck as Scrooge McDuck as a character does not function in like okay, obviously he's a cartoon in the real world economic so context in the real world. No, but, this is um, cartoon capitalism. This is a uh, This is cartoon capitalism where nobody actually gets hurt and Scrooge is just actually, you know, yeah. he's actually benevolent and he's actually trying to help people and yeah. he really did make all of his money by himself by yeah. adventuring and finding treasure and stuff. So yeah. there is obviously like um, a bit of t- cartoon log- logic at play here, but still, <laughs> it is a little bit egregious for Scrooge to be saying this to Louis. Yeah, Scrooge lives in the cartoon myth of the me- meritocracy, right? Exactly. Um, yeah, exactly. And uh, Louis has direct evidence that that isn't actually real, or not at least not real for most people. Um, so he's kind of real. He kind of realizes that he can benefit if he does work, but works smart, not hard. Um, So it's, again, kind of this example of Louis being being able to see, like, the realities of the world around him in a way that the other kids can't. Um, Mm. He's he's kind of taken, while he's very childish in this episode, his actual worldview is pretty pretty adult, pretty realistic. Um, Hard work doesn't always pay off because 
it depends on who you are. If you're a trillionaire, all your hard work is going to pay off. But if you're like a fucking poor single father, you can work as hard as you want just to be a poor single father. Exactly. Um, so Louis an interesting character, and we're going to see a lot of his like kind of approach to work and his work ethic here. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the meantime, Dewey is sneaking into Webby's room. Um, looking for something, and we get to see a little bit more of her of Webby's room itself, which is like example I think of really great environment design. Um, because just looking at it, uh, it's like this really big room. Her bedroom itself, like, usually guess what kind of bedroom part of someone's room is like a very kind of private place, like mm-hmm. where your actual bed is and your clothes are and where you sleep and stuff. That's kind of very a very kind of a a kind of private place that you wouldn't really let people into. But she's got kind of these two stages to her room where the, the room itself is uh, in the attic and she's got kind of this, the rest of her room underneath, which is kind of yeah. huge and awesome. So that's where Dewey is. Um, and we get kind of, looking around the room, we get the, this kind of fun mix of artifacts from various cultures. We get maps, dolls, toys, and there's arrows and knives embedded in the walls all over. <laughs> Where she keeps doing like target practice and throwing knives, and we get the quack the the is the quacky patch doll that's yes. like pinned to the wall with an arrow or a knife. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it all kind of says a lot about her as a character. It's kind of great environment design, and um, because it, yeah. both, it fits into the rest of the mansion, um, but it's very much her room, and it shows a lot about her interests uh, that she's kind of been trying to been trying to explore the world from the. From the from the confines of the mansion, researching all these different cultures and collecting maps and all this kind of stuff. Um, so Dewey kind of rifles through one of her notebooks and gets uh, literally caught red-handed. Yeah, yes. Yeah, so Webby has um, Webby's such an evil genius. I love her. Um, yeah, she has she has set a trap for um, she set a trap for intruders when nobody else. She's never talked to anybody else in her life. Um, which I think is just very funny that she's still like, she still like sets traps and um and you know is ready to kill people at a moment's notice when um for the rest of her like for most of her life up until the the, the triplets and Donald came to live with her nobody would be going through her stuff so this is yeah. just a very um funny habit of hers which I really like obviously um obviously drilled in her drilled into her by Beakley um, yeah but with the webby twist which is using glitter all yeah. over her journal so that if somebody picks it up they get glitter all over their hands. It very it very nicely fits into her kind of like spycraft, but nobody yes. is actually trying to spy on her thing. Yeah. Um where she's kind of constantly preparing for situations that will never exist because like what the fuck else does she have to do? Um so he gets caught um rifling through one of her notebooks and he immediately apologizes and explains that he's looking for information about his mom and Webby accepts his apology pretty much the moment he apologizes because she really doesn't care. <laughs> um, and she's pretty eager to help and uh, thrilled by the challenge of kind of researching Della. Uh, so we get a couple of little things here. One of them is that uh, horrible dark secrets known only to your Uncle Scrooge that could change the fate of the world as we know it. <laughs> um, I'm going to, I think I'm going I'm to file that away in my, in the Fethry secret folder in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> your cons- your own personal conspiracy board. My own personal conspiracy board, because you know how insane I am about that shit. But we can't go into this, in this episode because it will take up the rest of the episode. Um, 
And also, uh, Dewey shows Webby the only photo the kids have of Della, in which he shows Dom's face into a cake, which is, I think, pretty classic. <laughs> it's a very, it's very, a very, very cute. It's a very cute photo that it's the only one that they have. And we also see that Dom's is wearing his his classic blue outfit. And that tracks yeah. because he only started wearing the black one in the pilot. So that's just kind of a nice little detail that they've kept track of that. Um, so Webby explains that nobody actually knows anything about Della. And up till now, her father's been empty. And we get the return of the conspiracy board. She unveils it again. Yay! And because it's a fairly close, because uh, it's a fairly close shot in on it. Um, I kind of made a list of all the things that we can read off it. Mm-hmm. So we get a piece of paper that just says the traitor. I don't know who that is. I don't think we've had a mm-hmm. traitor. <laughs> I don't think no. there's been anything about that. We get a piece of paper that says who is DB and then Gigi written next to it. I don't know who that is. Um, we get a cute one which I really like which is Dismal Downs when is Castle McDuck which is a reference to the fact that the uh, that uh, Scrooge cursed his parents with immortality and Castle McDuck kind of exists in this time, <laughs> timeless void which is yes. incredibly fucked up um, we get Nurther World War 2 which I have no fucking idea what that means yeah that's um that's interesting I like I'm assuming that means I'm assuming that it's just like netherworld either misspelled or and just like an alternative spelling on purpose um very, like, there's a lot of things on here where um, obviously there could be hints to future episodes, such as the you know the um the tailspin stuff and uh, the yeah. terraforming and whatnot. But a lot of it is just like, is this just like a really obscure reference to something in the comics? Yeah, I mean this is the case with a lot of these little things. Um, I'm gonna get into that a little bit longer there. Uh, we also have uh, two more, which is the last treasure and what looms larger than McDuck's shadow, which is actually repeated twice. Um, uh, the thing is, it's incredibly, incredibly um, uh, likely that a lot of these are just like ominous for the sake of being ominous, like good for the goose, yeah. you know? Good for the goose. I, I still love that. That's so funny. <laughs> it's so funny how needlessly complicated it is and like needlessly, needlessly ominous and cryptic. It's so funny. So I think a lot of them are just like stuff like that to, to make it seem that there is some some greater conspiracy at, at play. Um, but I just thought I'd make a note of them in case any of these do come back. Mm-hmm. Um, so we also find out that Scrooge disappeared a mailman who delivered a letter with Della's name on it. <laughs> which Grim! Is it's so funny, but it's so dark. That's so funny. Why did why did he do that? Why, he is such a crazy old man. And I have a note here, which is that like obviously this is Webby's retelling of the event. Um, which is that like she's like that I never saw our mailman again, which is like, yeah, he was probably put on a different route, right? Like we don't <laughs> fucking know. Um but I I have a note here which just is like Webby's paranoia, or just Scrooge taking out his grief on the innocent postal service? (laughs) (laughs) Because, my God, the fact that he bought the post office just so he could be, like, insane is very funny. Um, And the scene ends with uh, Dewey and Webby resolving to investigate Teletalk. Yes. And I think kind of my... uh, my overall kind of comment on 
this plot line in general is that I think it's cute and very, very sad that the kids are treating the situation around Della like it's a conspiracy or a mystery and it's just grief, you know? Yeah. That's the reason yeah. nobody's talking about Della. That's the reason all the shit about her is to, is like put away. You know? It's grief. That's it. But they yeah. don't have any they don't have any context or like any experience um that would like kind of allow them to to understand the depths of that grief because they're fucking eleven years old. Yeah, and it makes sense that um that like obviously, you know, everything else about Scrooge is like, you know, it's an adventure, it's a conspiracy, it's a it's a mystery, it's something yeah. interesting and exciting to discover. So of course it makes sense that like uh, you know, especially Webby, who doesn't really have any, uh, like, you know, proper ties to this specific uh, topic. Mm-hmm. Um, makes sense that she would kind of view it in the same light as, oh, this is an adventure. This is, you know, a conspiracy to uncover. Like, yeah. Dewey has more of a personal stake in it. But yeah. even he gets kind of caught up in the, in the, in the excitement of it. And he kind of thinks, well, it, it must be, you know, something... You know, like it—it it, it has to be something exciting. It has to be yeah. something interesting. If, like, you know, if there is nothing about her, then you know, yeah. it must, something must have been purposely hidden. It must be something interesting. Um, and it really—it's really, um, it's really interesting that, um, you know, Webby, the crazy little girl, ultra super McDuck Clan fan, can't find anything about Della. Really, yeah. just goes to show, like, how thorough Scrooge was with erasing everything about her from his life. Um. Which is really sad. It's so sad. Uh, and we get kind of... Dewey's kind of more down-to-earth through this entire adventure, right? Um, because he's got mm-hmm. the emotional investment that's kind of... That he can't really get into the fantasy the same way that Webby can because this is very real for him. Um, yes. And we also get that sense of... Uh, that sense of kind of excitement and the kind of fantasy of like what mystery could possibly be at play here kind of gets warped into this fear that he has that whatever happened was so terrible. So he is actually taking a more kind of grounded uh, approach to it and much more closer to the truth that whatever happened to Della Duck is just terrible. And that's why nobody's talking about it. And that's why it's all been covered up is because something really bad happened. Mm. Um, Which is like more or less true, but not for the reasons that he thinks. Uh, so we get this kind of divide between Webby and Dewey, which is going to kind of widen between uh, as we kind of continue along this storyline um, that Webby kind of can't emotionally invest in this because she doesn't have any connection to Della Duck. This is another mystery for her. She spent her whole life up to now investigating these mysteries and making something out of nothing. Um, mm. And Dewey is very emotionally invested in it and this is really serious for him and it has consequences for his life um that they have to kind of reconcile that um but it's this is this whole storyline is obviously incredibly sad and very uh very kind of steeped in in grief and kind of messy uh, messily dealing with uh with loss um mm-hmm. and how that kind of like seeps down to kids who don't have the context but are definitely kind of picking up on what's happening here and it's very sad and it's i think one of the most kind of compelling plot lines throughout the throughout the series as a whole yeah definitely definitely. yeah it's definitely one of my favorites 
Um, so, uh, Squirrels, Louie, Dewey, and Webby arrive at the money bin with Launchpad, who um, immediately crashes the car. Um, <laughs> this is and, a regular morning crash. Yeah, and Dewey and Webby run off on a pretense, uh, leaving Louie to be again dragged bodily into the building by Scrooge. And what I really <laughs> liked about this scene is that Webby and Dewey give a perfectly reasonable excuse, but they deliver it in the most unconvincing way possible, and then they run <laughs> off holding hands. They are so unsubtle. It's incredible. They're uh, so cute. They are so cute. I also really like um it it did make me smile that Scrooge is being nice to Launchpad and like being like, you know, you have like a kick us up at six and like calling him by his first name and giving him a thumbs up. It's like a very nicer contrast to the pilot where he was being really rude and not talking to him and calling him calling him a quack and uh kinda yelling at him a lot. Like it's obviously just uh just meant to be a, a a contrast of how Scrooge was a bitch, and now he's less of a bitch. Yeah, how much the the kid's presence is kind of changing his life, and uh, changing how he approaches kind of the regular details in his life. I do just like people being nice to Launchpad in general. <laughs> yeah, it's <that is laughs> one of my favorite things. Um, so Webby leads Dewey to Scrooge's private library, or as Quackfester calls them, the archives. Um. Mm-hmm. And so she gets rebuffed, but with Dewey as a bona fide McDuck family member, she finally gets in. And we, what we found out here, as well as being introduced to Quackfaster, who's hilarious, um, we find out that Webby's tried to get into the archives before, and because she could have just yeah. taken one of the boys with her, it was presumably pre pre triplets. So, like, mm-hmm. how did she get to the money bin? Did she like stow away in the limo? Did Biggie actually <laughs> let her like leave the mansion to come here? I think she stowed away in the I... limo. I also think she stayed away in the limo. I think that is um, uh, much more realistic, uh, given that in you know, in in the second part of the pilot episode, she's clearly uh, not used to doing things like outside the mansion and asking asking Beagley for permission to do things. Yeah. Um, so I, I think I think it's very funny if she stays away with in the limo, <laughs> trying to go to work with Scrooge and. Um, just exploring the money bin because she clearly knows her way around. So she's been here enough times to find yeah. her way through she, the 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 many yeah. many many floors of this building. <laughs> the what, like fifty-seven floors at least, <laughs> based yes. on Louis' continued elevator gag later on. Um, <laughs> and also, obviously, the fact that like Quackfaster knows her by name. She's tried to get into the archives before. It's kind of her dream at this point to get into the archives and have so much un- unfettered access to like details mm-hmm. of Scrooge's life. Um, so this is just kind of like an interesting little bit, a little bit of speculation on uh, on what Webby's been up to before, like how far Webby has been like pushing her personal freedom before the boys arrived. Yeah. Um so meanwhile, Scrooge brings Louie into the money bin and if Louie finally gets to see what he's wanted to see his entire life. The money <laughs> <laughs> But yeah it's kind of a cute little parallel that like Webby's getting into the library which he's always wanted to get into and Louie is getting to see a vault full of money which he's always wanted to see it's both kind of it's kind of this legendary location for both of them i do really like um louie just kind of yelling out the money (laughs) the money (laughs) it's very cute also um as they are kind of going along first in the room 
there's a mural on the wall which kind of contrasts with Glomko's mural from the pilot. Um, mm-hmm. And in it, Scrooge is shown working alongside his employees rather than commanding them from on high because he's a good capitalist. Um, yes. And his men even get to wear <laughs> clothes. No naked man jokes here. <laughs> oh, um, God. And then Louis, we get to see Louis barely restraining himself from diving in to try and weasel his way into spending Scrooge's money, which in the one of my favorite kind of series of lines, which is that uh, you need someone to go out and spend some of it and make sure it hasn't expired. <laughs> He's such an evil little kid. <laughs> He's so funny. Um, and then as soon as Scrooge's back is turned, he does to try and dive in. And we get the very much appreciated explanation that diving into money will actually break your bones. <laughs> Unless yes, you're Scrooge. I like... It's it's um it's a very necessary thing to make money swimming. Not just like a weird cartoony thing that Scrooge can do because he's in a cartoon and he's a cartoon character. It's actually like a skill that he's affected. Yeah, like if anyone else tries to do it, you will fucking die. Very yeah. much, very much, very funny to imagine him training to do this. Um, uh, <laughs> but it's it's also very in character that he would um. This is a skill that he has very worked very hard to attain. Yet yeah. another example of Louis being told you need to work hard to do this. You can't just do it. Yeah, even if even if the thing that he wants to do is swim in money, you have to yes. work hard. Otherwise, you're gonna break your fucking skull open. Anyway, so Louis has to accompany Scrooge to an unscheduled board meeting in which he is bored. He is bored out of his damn mind. Um. Mm-hmm. So Bradford Buzzard lists off a couple locations here, which I looked into. Um, mm-hmm. We get Dawson, which we hear about later in the show, because it's where Goldie first originally appeared in the uh, in the original kind of comics, and that she was a dancer in a in a dance hall in in Dawson. Um, and it's kind of one of the Wild West locations that gets referenced a lot um, in kind of Klondike episodes. So, like um, Scrooge and Goldie's kind of like realm is like the Klondike and Dawson and these kind of places, Gumption. Uh, this kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Uh, then we get Lillehammer, which is just a town in Nor- Norway with seemingly no significance in the Disney universe, other than having been mentioned in the title of a Don Rosa comic. Um, which is probably why they picked that. Um, El Dorado is obviously a very familiar location in Disney. In Disney. Um, yes. Yes. Uh, it is a it is a location that's shown up in some of the comics. Um, and then Culebra is a location that Scrooge visited in the comics. Um, and when I was looking into this one, I found an insane title for uh, an insane sentence from the uh, from the plot uh, summary. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Scrooge McDuck is pressured by his nephews into recounting the story of the worst deal he ever made in his youth, which takes us back to 1909 Culebra, where Scrooge and his sisters once again butt heads with Theodore Roosevelt. <laughs> <gasps> interferes with the digging of the Panama Canal. So, <laughs> once again, what's head with Theodore Roosevelt? <laughs> seemed to have an ongoing feud with Theodore Roosevelt. Oh, I, <laughs> I, I love. I love when when Scrooge McDuck is like inserted into real historical events. It's, it's so good. Um, I'm just going to hop into the Theodore Roosevelt page on the McDuff wiki. He is a dog. Oh, <laughs> of course he is. 
the 26th president of the United States of America, Theodore Roosevelt, spent some time as a cowboy in the Badlands, learning to appreciate nature and adventure. There he met a young Scrooge McDuck, whom he would repeatedly bump into throughout his life. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. I wonder how many presidents Scrooge McDuck has personally met. I'm sorry, I was just looking at Theodore Roosevelt's character information, and of course his species is listed as Dognose, because the actual picture here yes. has, him, has him as a dog. But then underneath it, it says Anthropomorphic Pig. And then we have a picture <gasps> of the actual Theodore Roosevelt. <laughs> oh. Incredible things happening on the screen of Duck Pan and Wiki. He is closely based on the historical character of the same name. <laughs> closely based on it. Hey, you'll never guess who Theodore Roosevelt, the Disney Ducks comic character, is based on. Uh, basically, he uh, he showed up in The Legend of the Three Caballeros, um, mistakenly oh, okay. depicted as an anthropomorphic pig later on. Rookie mistake. Rookie obviously mistake. Um, so, anyway. And that just kind of drove me a little bit crazy. Mostly, unfortunately, what I found when I was looking into these locations was, as tends to happen when diving into the very original comics, a lot of racism. Oh, yeah. That's a lot. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, anyway. Um, so, Gyro busts in. Um, gyro busting in! Gyro busting in! And Scrooge introduces him for Louis's sake, line. which is kind of cute. That he's the like, fantastic first line of Gyro is "Shut up, everyone! I've done something brilliant." <laughs> I know. I didn't make a note of that as well because they're instantly distancing himself from distancing themselves from Gyro's uh, original characterization, which was like bumbling, humble, kind to a fault, very modest, very altruistic. <laughs> yeah, and then they have, and now he's an evil bitch. <laughs> now and they have great. Gyro, the fantastically evil bitch who comes in and says, shut up everyone, I've done something brilliant. And <laughs> Louis falls out of his chair in shock, which is very cute. Um, so Gyro kind of uh, proceeds to try and pitch his latest invention, um, but Scrooge just to keep reminding him to be sociable, kind of revealing that, uh, that he's trained Gyro to start using uh, pre-prepared cue cards when interacting with other people so that he doesn't go into bitch mode. <laughs> <laughs> I but really he's... like that. Um, I, I yeah. really like that Scrooge has been giving him tips on not being a bitch. The, I know. the hypocrisy of it all. It's so funny. Um, but the invention that he presents is Lil Bulb. Um, but the board aren't impressed because they have a long kind of uh, track record of uh, Jaru's inventions uh, going crazy and evil and turning on people. Um, mm-hmm. And they are pretty much like, yeah, this is financial liability. Uh, fuck off, Jaro. And he's like, oh, anyway. Um, but anyway. This, 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 I just want to say that Jaro's introduction here really reads as a villain origin. Like, I know that's like, that's like, that's like, that's like, that's the joke of it all is that he's like an evil bitch, but he's like still a good guy. But this whole episode really is just like, and especially yeah. with like the, um, the, the, the ending scene, this is like, when I first watched this episode, I was like, is this, is he a villain? Like, it seriously sets him up as a bad guy. I thought that was what it was setting up, that it was that Jaru was going to be, like, the villain for, like, at least a couple episodes. But, no, he's just a He's bitch. not, he's just a bitch. <laughs> he, he does leave the room saying, I'll show you, I'll show you all. 
It's incredible um, because Screech just brushes it off and tells him to try to say that after he's after he's closed the door next time. <laughs> it's not good etiquette uh, to say I'll show yeah. you all when you're still in the room. Um, so funny. So, uh, but what really I like about the scene is that it gives us a it like works very hard to give us a very kind of quick and efficient picture of who this new gyro is. You know, mm-hmm. he's the frustrated genius, he's the underappreciated scientist whose inventions are out to get him, just like the rest of the world is, because, like, <laughs> he's he's too good. That's kind of Gyro's problem, right? Is that he's a bit, like, quack fast here in that they're both, like, hyper-competent at their jobs. They're incredibly, incredibly smart and incredibly talented. Gyro is so good at his job that no matter what he tries to invent, he does it too good, and they're so well, kind of... um they're so well built that they become sentient. You know, he can't build something <laughs> yes. that just fucking functions as it's meant to. It always is like going above and beyond. He's mm-hmm. he, his inventions are over ambitious. Um, but we get this kind of characterization of him as like as a result of those things. He's kind of sarcastic. He's disdainful. He's arrogant, um, and he despises working with others because he thinks he's above them. He's this genius, which isn't wrong, but like he's a bitch. Um, and then we get kind of louis and he's like a naive child who doesn't have the experience of gyros that are evilly evil or wildly misunderstood but inventions um (laughs) louis kind of struck by the idea that he'd never have to work again with this new invention which is obviously like the fantasy that's the pitch that's you know the kind of driving idea between behind a lot of these like inventions is that like it would save you so much work and that that's the the fantasy that people buy into when they invest in these things um and also this is exactly the opposite of what scrooge is trying to teach him in this episode but there you go (laughs) (laughs) um so louis pretty outraged that scrooge turns down little bulb um but then scrooge explains that he trusts the board completely which is um interesting or you know financially at least but still yeah um but then the board starts trying to make more cuts and scrooge kind of bristles and starts arguing and louis takes the opportunity to slip away um mm. so we get another peek at scrooge who is the most rude and evil old man in the world um who can't cut funding to magical defense because he's got an insane amount of vengeance curses taken out on him <laughs> He is the most cursed old man on the planet. He's he, so like, cursed. He will die from like a million kinds of evil, foul magic if he like if he drops like a single like if he drops a single dollar on magical defense, he'll die. He'll vaporize. He's got the magical equivalent of like a bunch of knives hanging over his head at all times. <laughs> it's bad. He like this is it's what you terrible. get for being like a terrible old man who keeps pissing people off. Um, so, like, obviously there's a lot of stuff in this, in, like, the series in general, which changes a lot when we, uh, when we look back on it. Um, and one of them is that, like, we know that Bradford Buzzard is, is in foul. We know that they've, like, infiltrated, uh, the board. Um, or they are the board, rather, but they've infiltrated McDuck Enterprises and are totally Mm -hmm. trusted by Scrooge. Um, so knowing this, you know... How many of the cuts that the board insists on are intended to like kind of gut McDuck Enterprises? Um, yeah. And, and also, is it significant that they try and cut funding for in magical defense? You know, is there any kind of way that that would benefit them? 
I um, mean, uh, in a much later episode, we do have the um, what's the? It's the um, the one where Louis gets control of McDuck Enterprises and he makes a cut yes, to the richest duck the in the world. Yeah, and, and he makes a cut to the magical prison and lets the bombie out, um, which is uh, definitely covered under magical defense, I would say. Um, oh yeah, like that's the whole thing is that this push towards um, cutting magical defense is kind of a through line. That that's yes. one of the things that Scrooge is spending the most money on, and one of the things that he's most um, uh, adamant about not cutting. And then when Louis has, who has none of the context, cuts it, uh, he immediately gets like chased down by a, a zombie. <laughs> I think it's just very clever that the uh, that the board is kind of able to kind of weaken McDuck Enterprises and kind of plot against Scrooge just by taking on this kind of position of these financial advisors who don't know what's going on. So like, yeah. by saying, oh yeah, you have to, you're putting so much money into magical defense, whatever that is, because magic isn't real, but knowing full well that there's something that's going to fucking kill Scrooge if he cuts funding. That they're just yeah. like, constantly trying to, trying to play this game of that. Uh, of a feigning ignorance of the things that they're trying to that they're trying to cut funding for on like the off chance that Scrooge actually agrees to one of them and they get to like kill him with a <laughs> with a zombie. Um, <laughs> it's clever. It's a. Uh, I think Bradford's setup as a villain is very good. Yeah. Um. So then, we do go back to Webby and Dewey in the archives, and Webby is in heaven. Ah, oh, she's having so much fun. She's having a fantastic time. Dewey is, however, pretty much um, determined to find out what happened to Della. He's kind of refusing to let himself get sidetracked here. Um, Which is very impressive. Like, really, really, really good job, Dewey. I think it's I have a note here that says uh, the irony of Dewey telling Webby to focus. Yeah. <laughs> yes, uh, I really like that. I think it is probably um, helped by the fact that Dewey doesn't Dewey doesn't strike me as a big reader, so it's kind of understandable that he wouldn't be as yeah. jazzed about this huge old archive full of books. Yeah, but, the library um, isn't really a temptation for him in the same way that it is for Webby. Yeah, but it's still I still really like Dewey saying focus Webby like. Hmm. Yeah. We <laughs> get looked in the mirror lately. <laughs> we get this resurgence of uh of the dynamic that was kind of established a bit in Everest, which is uh that Webby is very easily distracted um, when, like, something else that she could do kind of comes along, and Dewey mm-hmm. is a little bit more capable of keeping his eye on the prize. Yeah. Um, so, kind of, we get this. Uh, even though Dewey is himself incredibly impulsive, he's kind of uh, he's got the practice, I guess, of resisting immediate temptation. Um, yes. Which Webby never really got because she doesn't really spend much time outside of the mansion she doesn't really have the real world experience to uh to uh kind of develop that skill mm-hmm. um so we get some shout outs to peruvia and plain awful so obviously we got plain awful before in that sky pirates are are spotted over a uh, plain awful um yep. and peruvia doesn't actually seem to exist it's just kind of a joke on on peru um, <laughs> which is a real place. <laughs> that I, just, like, hey, just so you know, Peru is a real place. I mean, like, <laughs> sure. in the context of DuckTales. Yeah, so it's like, there's like the, the, the there's a side-by-side existence here of Peruvia and Peru. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
So again, we get this kind of ominous, like, oh, but do you really want to know? Can you handle the truth? The thing with Della. Um, yes. But, like, coming from adults, it seems to mostly be them not wanting to talk about it or not wanting to bring up a sore subject for Scrooge or just genuinely not knowing what happened and, like, being unwilling to admit it. Um, mm-hmm. But the thing is, this exact sentiment of, like, do you really want to know? Can you handle the truth thing? Is going to be Dewey's biggest fear throughout the season. The idea that, like, the yeah. truth is more horrible than he can imagine. So it just really goes to show that when you act like a crazy person to a kid, it freaks them out. <laughs> Your actions have caused and And Quackmaster really is just crazy. She is insane. She is twisted. She's a twisted she, old woman. <laughs> she is so funny. She's so funny. She says the blue one seeks to learn of his past, but is he strong enough to learn the truth? It's like, what are you saying? <laughs> She's so this is a 10-year-old! And you were saying before we started the episode how, as a, as a, as a librarian yourself, um, how nice it is to see a librarian character in a, in a cartoon who isn't just like a boring, a boring old woman who tells everybody to shut the I, up. I love crazy manic librarian representation. It's what we deserve. There's not a single, like shush joke from the librarian here is there there is like she doesn't tell them to be quiet at any point which is like thank god um i think think the only other uh librarian i can think of who kind of serves a similar role is like in bob's burgers do you remember the the guy who was is actually like the drama teacher but he had to be the librarian because he was like oh god yes Yes, yes, yes. And he just didn't give a shit about being a librarian and he hated books. <laughs> yes. And he was yeah. being like evil the whole time. So yeah, it's like <laughs> very, very there's very little kind of librarian representation that isn't like old daughtery old spinster who just like tells everybody to shut the fuck up all the time. Yes. And I do like I do like that like Crackfoster is an old woman, but she's crazy. She has swords. She's like, crazy. She has swords. Uh, she is obsessed with um, this kind of like nebulous concept of the truth. I, I I wish she was a more major character. I I wish she showed up more. Like I obviously I understand. Like Black Tails already has a fairly big cast, and I understand why you know she can't. But it's like <sighs> she really is. Like, I have feelings for you. I really do. It would be nice to see her more. Um, we're going to see her again in Invasion, but that's quite a while away. Uh, back with Louis, he uh, snuck away from the board meeting to grab a drink from the vending machine. But he finds out that he's short 10 cents, so he steals Scrooge's number one dime he saw earlier. Which is a stupid, stupid move. Um, stupid move. This is kind of illustrated when he walks back into the meeting to Scrooge explaining how priceless that dime is. Um, <laughs> what we know but but Louis doesn't yet is that the dime itself is just a decoy um, yes uh, but we get Scrooge's dramatic origin story which is very funny because it's undercut the whole time by Louis taking this incredibly long horrified slurp of his drink <laughs> as he uh, kind of, yes. as he realizes the, the extent of his mistake um, yes so this is uh this is Louis's uh, little little plotline for the episode that he's setting out to retrieve the dime and replace it before Scrooge finds out it's gone, which is a fairly common kind of trope. Um, fucking up and trying to fix it before the person that you fuck that you like have wronged finds or, out. Or, yeah. yeah, 
Yeah, um, so we're, we're embarking upon the titular dime chase here. Um, yeah, and it's kind of the Louis hates it. Louis hates it. Louis hates Louis? this because he has to go up so many stairs. He hates every second of this because the whole kind of thing that we're going to see here is that Louis has to keep doing things the hard way, like using the stairs mm-hmm. inside the elevator because the elevator is always in use. Um, or at one point has been cut, the cables have been cut entirely and it's just an empty shaft. Um, because the easy way just doesn't get him anywhere or like makes his life harder. Um, but he's also not going to get any recognition for his hard work, which is a nice little line in between like, yeah, you do have to work hard, but also fucking, you're not really going to get shit out of it, which, uh, mm-hmm. kind of falls nicely in between his, uh, his two extremes, which is that the Donald hard work doesn't doesn't pay off ever and Scourge's hard work pays off always you can only get places through hard work um so that kind of falls in between there this is kind of how Louis is going to have to learn to deal with things um so he tracks the giant to the sorting room but he gets locked out and he almost gives up but then serendipitously gyro passes by with a little bulb and Louis chases him down to convince him to lend an invention to a possible investor which is him um and what I really liked here is that we're seeing a lot of Louis's method of problem solving. Um, yes. Which is that he tries to think his way around problems rather than through them. Um, we saw a bit of how Dewey and Huey solve problems in the pilot. So when in the exact same situation, when Dewey was faced with a locked door, he just fucking smashed his way through. Um, <laughs> which was inventive, but a very like kind of short-sighted way through the problem. Is and it also to just took cause a while. Property damage. Yeah. So it was like not de- definitely not the most um, kind of creative way around the problem. It wasn't very particularly subtle, um, but he used what he had. It was resourceful in that way, um, and it was effective. Um, and then when when Huey is faced with the the broken bridge in uh, in Atlantis, uh, Huey thought of a way to climb down and continue across, kind of using uh, using kind of um, preconceived uh, methods of dealing with this. Like, you know, there's a certain way to use a rope to climb down a large distance. There's this kind of stuff. Uh, So we get kind of Louis's version of this, which is that when he's faced with a locked door of his own, he tries to be resourceful and learns to pick the lock, but it doesn't immediately work. Um, And I do want to note here that he's like particularly kind of impatient and childish in this episode. He's very Um, short-sighted. But here he just kind of seems to be panicking and things aren't going according to plan, hence the kind of impatience. Uh, he immediately just kind of switches gears and goes a different direction entirely. Um, so he's a very... Uh, Huey and Dewey tend to kind of go along a straight path when it comes to problem solving um, mm-hmm. and kind of think their way through things or like fucking brute force their way through things. Um, whereas Louis tends to kind of go around and he can switch he can uh he can switch gears as they say on a dime. So it just kind of is an example of uh what we're gonna kinda kinda see uh develop from Louis later on is that he is a very kind of creative thinker, that he's approaches things in a very roundabout way. Um, yeah, he doesn't get, he I also doesn't like get, he doesn't get blinkered like uh, like the other two do. Yeah, I like here that it's um we see because Huey's an intellectual problem solver. He thinks about how to do it. He follows the rules and he you know uh, he 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 solves problems in a, a very methodical way. 
Dewey runs straight through things, uh, and then mm-hmm. Louis uses kind of his uh, emotional intelligence to uh, most of the time get other people to do things for him. Yeah, um, I would argue that it's a, a kind a very... of social intelligence rather than most yeah. emotional uh, yeah, intelligence. Yeah, so- social intelligence is a better word for it. Definitely, um, it's definitely a, a good a good kind of like trifecta of problem solving where it's Louis. Louis does like to. Uh, engineer situations, but he doesn't really like to do the work himself. Um, yeah. which is seen here when he 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 goes and schmoozes to Gyro and gets a robot helper out of it. But he's he's really good at it. He's really good at schmoozing. He's really good at manipulating people and talking to people. Yeah. Um, and it and it really it really bothers him when this when like his strength isn't actually seen as a strength, which shows yeah. up a lot more later in later in the series where. He's just kind of seen as scheming and conniving when this is what he's good at and this is how he solves problems, but everybody just kind of sees it as, you know, evil and bad. Yeah. And because he doesn't really think that he has other skills aside from this. So to be told that the only yeah. skill that he does have is kind of inherently bad. Um, and a lot of the stuff, like, not coming from Scrooge directly, but in the context of Scrooge being a famously evil old man who everyone hates, like, come <laughs> on. Very hypocritical. Anyway. Mm-hmm. So Scrooge uh, is such a hypocrite, isn't he? <laughs> he is. He's awful. Uh, so I do think it's uh, it's notable that um, that Louis gives up pretty quick when it's down to him to lock the door. When he realizes he's, to unlock the door, when he realizes he's not really going to get anywhere at picking the lock, just because like mm-hmm. fucking video took too long to load or whatever, and because he didn't <laughs> have the he didn't have anything to pick the lock with, so he immediately kind of gave up. Yeah. Um, if it was. Huey or Dewey? I mean, we know that Dewey would have just tried to grab something. That Dewey would have grabbed something in the immediate area and smashed the lock off the door. Um, <laughs> if it was Huey, he probably would have looked up how to pick the lock and then would have made that his primary objective to look for something yeah. he could pick a lock with, like a pin or something, and go through the. Whole I mean, realistically, Huey would already have a lockpick with him. Like. He would be he would be coming, you know, pre prepared. Yeah, he'd use um, like the pin off one of his badges or something. Like, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um he, but uh if he didn't have if he was in the same situation that Louis was in where he didn't have anything on him that could pick a lock, he would have gone through the whole money bin looking for something. Whereas yeah. Louis just immediately switches gears entirely mm. and goes, Okay, I'm not gonna pick the lock, I'm gonna try and find another way in. Um which is an example of how kind of flexible his thinking is. Um, yeah. Which is really cool. Um, so then, kind of back in the archives, uh, Quackfaster is refusing to answer Dewey's questions and instead gives them their first test, uh, which is just reorganizing the library card catalog according to the Dewey Decimal System. <laughs> yes, very, very funny. Um, A very I do funny like little the... exchange here. <laughs> I really love um, Webby going into this uh, expecting, you know, some incredible code, some, like, uh, very complex cipher, and she's, she's kind of delegating to Dewey, like, which codes they're going to try first, and then Dewey cuts in with, oh, it's just it's just a card catalog, <laughs> um, which is very funny, and also, has Webby ever been to a library before? Like, has she ever been inside of a library? Um, I don't know. I mean, what I kind of think of is, like, um... It, well, for one thing, Dewey kind of recognizes this or exactly what it is instantly, but I think Webby getting caught up in the fantasy is also her failing to see the underlying deception in what Crackfester is doing. 
Yeah. That she's obviously a lot more trusting. She's very bad at picking up on deception, unless it's coming from people who are categorized in her mind as enemies, as bad guys. Yeah. Like, if she's faced with, like, the Beagle Boys or whatever, she's like, oh, they're up to no good. Of course I wouldn't trust them. But because Quackfastier is kind of aligned with them, uh, and she just doesn't really have much um much kind of precedent for for people kind of misleading or or being deceitful for their for their own uh, benefit um in like this in this way that isn't villainous that's just kind of people interacting with each other um so she kind of can't she didn't really pick up on that and she immediately kind of like devotes herself fully to like the kind of fantasy that Quackfaster is selling them that this is some trial and also she just really doesn't <laughs> want to get kicked out. She's finally yeah. in the, she's finally in the library. She really doesn't want to get kicked out of the library. She's been waiting forever to be here. Um so she's kind of frustrated with Julie for like questioning Quackfaster's methods. But Julie like pretty intelligently goes, This is a library card catalog. <laughs> like <laughs> fucking we're just doing your work for you, huh? Um, just, it is interesting, also, just as an aside, that Dewey, as a like a ten year old child, recognizes a library card catalog, which aren't yeah. really in use anymore. Yeah, of, um... as a child, or like as a genuine, uh, as like a person in general going to the library, you have no cause to deal with a library card catalog. Yeah, like library, library, library catalogs are have been digital for a very long time. Uh, mm-hmm. Physical card catalogs are not going. To, I mean, yes, they will be in like old and um, as, like it makes sense that this is Scrooge's private library and Scrooge is a very old fashioned person. Of course, he would have a card catalog, but there is really no reason for Dewey, a ten year old child in the year of twenty seventeen, to recognize a card catalog. Um, just kind of funny. I mean, there's yeah. no. I mean, it could it could be it 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 it. it on one hand, it is just writing convenience that he knows what this is. It also could be Huey. This is something that Huey has been into in the past, or just like yeah. they have gone to. Maybe they've gone to many. Like it makes sense that they would have gone to many libraries because it's free entertainment for kids. It's um, yeah. something that they probably dropped off somewhere. Of, so. Yeah, um, it makes sense, but it's also just kind of <laughs> very funny because <laughs> libraries don't use physical card catalogs anymore. Yeah, um, it's very interesting. And also, Webby doesn't know what the Dewey Decimal System is. Um, I do think it's very funny. Very cute. Very funny. Um, <laughs> the greatest code Why does of it all. have your name on it? <laughs> How does it know your name? <laughs> it's very cute. Um, very cute. So, uh, but Dewey is just... Webby's kind of excited to solve a real-life mystery. Like, she doesn't get to do this. She's been yeah. left in the mansion. She doesn't actually get to solve mysteries. Um, she just kind of gets to theorize endlessly. So now she's kind of getting to solve mystery, and she's getting very kind of excited and carried away. Um, mm-hmm. And Dewey, very understandably, is getting really, really frustrated because he's giving the runaround, but this is information that he's actually entitled to. Like, yeah, who is this random librarian to deny him information on his own real life mother? Like, <laughs> yeah. he should know this shit. Like, there is, like, she really does have no place to like be denying him this information and it's really frustrating the way that she's doing it he's getting like mm-hmm. quite upset yeah um and obviously webby doesn't really pick up on this or understand why exactly um so 
then we get kind of like Louis catching up to Gyro and turning on the charm, and he gets a little bulb. Um, and we get a very funny rant from Gyro, which includes one of my favorite lines, which is one teen gets stuck to a moving school bus. <laughs> Gyro is so evil. He's so evil. <laughs> it's so I, funny. I. I, I really, really love this scene. I love this because Louis introduces himself as Scrooge's super rich nephew, and Gyro is Gyro says, keep talking, sir. Um, <laughs> Gyro has already forgotten Louis's name. Gyro does not intend to remember anybody's name yeah. um, ever. Um, then um, I think he calls it, I think he just calls him rich nephew at some point. <laughs> yeah. Which oh, is it's... kind of his way of, his, his way of referring to people, which is very funny. Yeah, and um, he is later just going to turn to calling them by just color coding them. He's going to yeah, start calling them yes. red nephew, blue nephew. <laughs> like, yes, he's evil. I think, he's a... I think the only people he consistently calls by name are Scrooge and Manny. Um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> very I mean, interesting people. We do eventually find out that he actually does know Fenton's name. He just refuses to use it. <laughs> yeah. Because he's, he's an evil, evil man. He's so funny. He is, so he's just an evil, rude bitch. And um, I love him. I do love him very much yeah. for it. And so much of the strength of his character is riding on Jim Rash. He was incredible. Oh, Jim Rash is an incredible voice actor. He is doing a fantastic job. I love it so much. He is like really... He's kind of a powerhouse as Gyro, and he's just going to get better as the as the season goes on. Um, mm-hmm. I know that one one episode in particular um, that I absolutely love Gyro in is the Outlaw Scrooge McDuck, which is our Wild West flashback oh, episode. God. That which one makes, is so good. I have a, I'm going to have a lot to say about that in terms of like its position in the narrative and how like uh, what kind of purpose it serves. Um, but it's an absolutely genius move to put Gyro in a Wild West episode. Because he just appeared there off screen in a time in a, in a time travel accident and he's just dealing with it because he gets a bad. It's I think I think Gyro is uh, one of Gyro's strongest episodes in terms of voice acting because it's one that um, so many of the jokes were like making me fucking lose it just on the strength of Jim Rash's voice alone. Yes, like when he goes Jim, I'm like... back he, out here in the old west, current west, <laughs> current west. Girl. There is um, uh, the, the 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 voice actors in this uh show are so good. They're like, uh, I um, so much of the like obviously the writing is fantastic, but so much of the funny jokes are really just made by the delivery of the voice actors. And Jim Rash is one of the best. Yeah, he really is. He uh, he has I think uh, a very good skill in terms of voice acting. Uh, which not a lot of other voice actors kind of utilize very much is uh, his willing to just his willingness to throw away lines as asides um, mm-hmm. that he has so many really excellent lines that he just kind of mutters to himself or kind of like throws off and trails off in them that he's not giving because he's not giving every line that's kind of full force he's making it really funny that he, yes. like it really just established Gyro, who half the time is just saying this incredibly intelligent or funny stuff to amuse himself, because God forbid he is not amusing anyone else. This is not for <laughs> anyone's benefit but himself. He is, he is, he is saying this shit for his own entertainment, um, and it's very, very, very characterful for Gyro, and it gives uh, his kind of voice performance uh, this very this uh, great variety that he's not yeah. delivering every line the exact same way every time. Yeah. 
Um, so he's a really strong voice actor. He's going to keep getting better as the episodes go on. Um, and uh, he's it makes him really a, a, a very refreshing kind of uh, comedic presence in scenes. Um, yes. Which is, he's got, which uh, makes him kind of this great strength in the outlaw Scrooge McDuck. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, so he also gets to uh, he also gets to say uh, blathering batterskite here. Um, yes, very. I remember the first time I watched this. The first time I, I think the first time I rewatched this episode, actually, I was like, Jaro says this because it kind of shocked me because I don't remember. I didn't. I didn't think this was his catchphrase, but he just kind of says it this time and then never again. He never says it again, but probably because like. The practicality of that is like every time he'd say it, a fucking robot suit would would like latch onto him or whatever. <laughs> um, yeah, but I think it started off because it was such a specific phrase that only he said that he decided to use it as the passcode. Yeah, um, which he then ended up kind of uh, kind of using, and then uh, it turns out, I guess that. Fenton also says it. I don't know. We'll have to look into this a little bit further in uh, yeah, in uh, in in Gizmo Duck episodes. Um, so Louis uh, takes a little bulb and takes him to the sorting room. Um, and he little bulb unlocks the door, and Louis kind of very callously puts him to work in favor of watching Ottoman Empire in earnest. <laughs> he does just. Punt him into the into the bin of money. It's very funny. Punts him in. He fucking drop kicks him. Poor little Bob. <laughs> little Bob is a very cute little character. I really like his design. Um, yes. I think the use of filament as as his little loopy eyes is is very cute. Um, yes, I do love that. And he's kind of a he's oblivious to little Bob's kind of growing resentment. Um, yes. We also got a this very funny little scene between Gyro and Little Bob where like. He's kind of continually trying to sell his inventions as not murderous and arguing with them. Um, and when he does a little kind of I'm watching you gesture at, at a little ball when Louis taking him away is very funny as the elevator closes. <laughs> um, there, is, there is the little moment um, where Louis uh, runs into Scrooge and is hiding a little ball behind his back and um, he tells Scrooge that he, uh, he ran out of room in his notebook, I think. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and he also imitates Scrooge. He makes fun of his Scottish accent, which is very funny. It's very cute. It's a very, it's a very childish kind of tantrumy thing to do, and it's very cute. And it's actually something mm. that Louis will kind of continuously do: is uh, is imitate Scrooge uh, when he's with his brothers, um, which is <laughs> cute. I think it's cute that that's kind of Louis's form of form of humor. Um, yeah, is uh, kind of making fun of people. Um, so Lil Bob is obviously getting pretty mad and uh, takes over one of the sorting I mean, machines I mean, so that hmm? not gonna lie, rightly so <laughs> yeah, no <laughs> I'm having a bit of a phantom blot here thing with Lil Bob where I'm like yeah, go for it <laughs> like, yeah <laughs> Louis is an evil little kid yeah, Louis being a nasty little boy um, so yeah like Fucking go for it, yeah. I mean, I think it's also just kind of like sympathy, Jaro and his inventions in general. I think they should be allowed to do what they want. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, he plugs himself into one of the sorting machines to better kind of find the dime, and then goes mad with power because uh, the wattage of the bulb is higher, and he has more power. 
<laughs> which is very cute. Um, mm-hmm. And he tur- he turns on Louis. Um, yes. I do also like the kind of continuing gag of uh, of Louis's kind of investment in uh, in Ottoman Empire because it, as I've said, is exactly like getting early into Fortune Fire, particularly when they, when it Louis is. goes. They're never gonna get that tough at a time. You get like you get like so um invested in like the uh the, the like the technical aspects of it where he's um he he like you know it's had a tuft in Ottoman quenching yeah, exactly, quenching a like, knife you know yeah. <laughs> this kind of it stuff. Is such a, it's such a it's such a faithful rendition of watching these terrible TV shows and just getting way too invested in them. Yeah, in like the in the uh. More obscure aspects of like uh, a, a very niche trade, um, and just kind of like, oh, I think it's it's very cute. It's very funny. Um, mm-hmm. It really it really does hit home. <laughs> <laughs> um, so back in the archives, Joey finally snaps and confronts Quackfaster, and he asks some very relevant questions, which is. Who exactly would destroy him for asking about his own mother? Like Scrooge? Like all of this the shit government? that's being talked about about people getting disappeared or like facing consequences for asking about Della Duck. Like this is his mother. Who the fuck is gonna like come after him for asking questions? He deserves to know. And then Quackfester has an absolutely hilarious line where she reveals that she's the person who's gonna destroy him for asking questions. <laughs> and she and chases him and Webby through Cutlass. <laughs> It's so funny. These are normal adults. She's so evil. She's so evil and crazy. I love her. <laughs> she just says, "I'm gonna destroy you." It's so funny. And back in the back in the um in the sorting room, Louis gets the dime, but at what cost? His life. <laughs> That's what. That's He's the cost. Gonna He's gonna die. <laughs> um. So while um. Dewey and Webby are being chased by Quackfaster and Louis is getting chased by Little Bulb. Um, Scrooge is having a heated argument with the board because they want to fire um, Quackfaster and Gyro. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, they seem to be like... Scrooge is kind of defending uh, Quackfaster's kind of lunatic approach to archiving and Gyro being a sk- one spilled coffee away from becoming a supervillain at any given moment. <laughs> I like how uh, I really, really like that Scrooge specifically calls Crackfaster level-headed, and it's like yeah. I mean, to Scrooge, she probably is. Yeah, and it immediately cuts to her like, sl- like slashing a cutlass at two children, and it's... she is screaming, "You shall become one with the archives." <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, as a librarian, how many times does that happen on a daily basis? <laughs> <laughs> um. So. Um, it's a it's a kind of a cute scene to show that like it kind of is establishing Scrooge as like the kind of kindly business owner who um, stands up for his employees and like really values loyalty, which is again like the ver- the, the very real good trillionaire that definitely yeah. exists. We are so we are so living in the cartoon capitalist fantasy where uh, these business owners really care about their employees and treat them fairly. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, it's cartoon. <laughs> Um, so Louis on the run from big from Big Bull by Everton here. Bull. <laughs> uh he passes by Gyro, who kind of resigns himself to another evil invention. Um so we get his little list, which is very funny. Um he's got Cogs and Armstrong, which are from the original DuckTales. 
Um, mm-hmm. We have the Time Tub, which will serve as a plot device in season two. And Robotica. Which apparently achieved sentience, by the way, the Time Tub. I, I don't know how. <laughs> it's a bad job. Um, and they've all turned evil, so he kind of very sadly adds Little Bulb to this list. Um, and he tries to he tries to turn Little Bulb back to the side of good, and we get the first instance of what would be a recurring line and kind of tragic in context, which is, um, "You are not evil. You are good." Which is his kind of the kind of insistence in his tone is is very very uh, very retrospectively sad. Yeah. It does make you wonder how many times how many times he's given that speech to a robot. <laughs> I know. He's also defined himself in the Obol's programming as genius, inventor, father, which is again <laughs> very funny and very sad. Yes. <laughs> with the, yeah, with, I'm in, very in excited the context to, to watch Astro Boyd. Yeah, I'm yeah. very excited to watch Astro Boyd and talk about Jairo Yulu's father. The, the, so the scuffle kind of encroaches on the meeting and they burst in and then immediately burst back out again. And Scrooge is like <laughs> in mid tirade of how like good and responsible his employees are. And he immediately switches gears and says one of my other favorite lines, which is that they're all mad as loons. And if you fire them, they're definitely going to seek revenge. <laughs> it's so funny. He's, like he's, he's been trying to appeal to their, you know, their sense of like, you know, faith in other people, and like, you know, these are good employees. They're doing good work. They've worked here for so long. And then he's like, "Well, they're also crazy bitches, and they're gonna kill you." So, <laughs> yeah. Do you really want them working against us? No, I thought not. <laughs> um. So Louis uh, chases the dime as far as the vault, but it falls into the money and is lost forever because he can't get down there without cracking his skull. Shit. Um, uh, meanwhile, Dewey and Webby use the library skills they've learned to unlock the secret room on the library where everything related to Jalajok has been stored. Um, yes, I do just want to I just want to take a moment here and I just have a very I don't have any idea what the um the number in the back of the 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 the, the book that they are looking in which has like the the it's a blank journal time, that says the the life and times of Della Duck, and yes. Dewey is momentarily hopeful, but opens it to find that all the pages are blank, um, except for one uh, numerical sequence, which does say nine two one one three four D. And I was thinking, okay, I don't know what kind of um classification system this is, but interestingly, the nine twenties in the Dewey Decimal System are for biographies. But the nine twenty ones are for so yeah so that does so the nine two at least tracks but then the nine twenty ones are biographies of philosophers and psychologists which is not quite right no so I don't really know exactly what's happening here so it's just interesting that they got it partially right and also there is no letters in Dewey decimal numbers and if it is actually a Dewey, De- Dewey decimal number then there should be a decimal point so yeah. this could just be a an in house categorization system which is the most likely thing but um. Yeah, I just thought it was interesting that the 9-2, at least, was true to Dewey Decimal System in that it's a biography. Yeah, but you would think they would have gone the full way then, and not... Yeah, you would think yeah. so. That's, a, that's, just, that's just my this is my librarian insight for you. I mean, I really appreciate it. I was wondering whether that, um, that sequence had any kind of uh, greater kind of context. Um, hmm. Yeah, I did, a little bit of, I did a little bit of research. I couldn't really find out. I mean, there's, there is probably uh older systems of categorization that i don't know about because i've only really looked at dewey um mm-hmm. but there could be other ones also, that, uh, yeah i mean we've also been told in this episode that they're using the dewey decimal system 
Yeah, so it's by a, um, yeah by a handy plaque, which I'm sure exists in all libraries. <laughs> <laughs> the plaque in every library that says Dewey Decimal. <laughs> Just so you know. Just so you know, this is the classification system that we're using. Okay. Uh, very good. Uh, so what I found really interesting is that when they open up the kind of Della Duck um, secret library, the first shot of the room is of the ceiling and then it pans down. So the first thing we quote yeah. unquote find out about Della Duck is an image of the moon in the night sky. And interestingly, Celine is pointing a spear at the moon. Oh, I didn't notice that. Did you um, not? No. No. It, it, uh, yeah, like if you if you pause when the moon is in, like it, when you pause, because it is panning down, and then the moon yeah. is in like the center of like the the, the mural or whatever. Yeah. Celine, it, it is obviously Celine standing on a mountain, and she's holding a spear, and it's like the tip is like touching the moon, and it's like, oh, that's so it cool. was all there. Yeah, <laughs> it was, it all, was there. all there. It was all there. Um. So, uh, Jerry immediately resolves to tell Hugh and Louie about kind of the secret library and what he's found so far but then Webby finds the note um, the, the, fam- note. the famous note which is uh, Scrooge I've taken the Spear of Saloon I'm sorry Della um, so because Webby immediately kind of brings up the idea that um, Della betrayed Scrooge and stole from him um, thus having done something bad um, yes. and betrayed family which is like Dewey's big no-no because yes, that's like his his priority system, um, and also combined with all that shit that Quack Factory's been saying about how like the truth is dangerous and like you're not ready for it and can't handle it and all this shit, um, he immediately kind of, um, it kind of like <sighs> frightens him, right? Yeah. Enough that he decides to hold off on telling his brothers because he's afraid of inflicting that same kind of fear and dread that he's feeling on them. Um, yeah, he decides that he can kind of take this bullet for them and investigate it mm-hmm. and come back to them when he's got something good to share. Um, that he can kind of protect them in that way, uh, which is an example of like good intention gone wrong, right? Like, yeah, he it's a it's a very childish kind of um, way of dealing with this situation, and it's very colored by fear. And it's very sad that he's uh and I mean it's a, it's an example of why you shouldn't be fucking insane to children quack faster. <laughs> really, really this is all quack faster's fault. If she hadn't scared the shit out of Dewey. Yeah. And also like Webby getting so invested in like this conspiracy and talking about how all the disappeared mailmen and <laughs> you know, kind of bringing like theorizing on the various ideas of like Della having betrayed Scrooge and stuff. Mm. You know, she can kind of entertain these notions because she has no emotional attachment to Della. Um, but it's very hurtful and frightening for Dewey to to think about his mother in that sense. Um, and it's something that we're gonna kind of see a lot more of later on. Um, and then back to Louis. Uh, he's actually started kind of chasing down the money, the the dime in the money bin itself. Um, mm. And what I noted here is that he's actually able to move through the coins to a certain extent. It's kind of more yeah. like a slog than a swim. But like mm. we'll see in later episodes, I think it's Jaws, um, that he's better at moving through money than the other kids. That they yeah, which is have to like, like walk on top of it. Thing. 
He's got yeah. a little, he's got like he's kind of he can kind of move through it. He can kind of wade through it um fairly fast where everyone else kind of struggles. Mm. Um so I thought that was interesting. I thought that was an interesting way that that Louis is kind of taking after Scrooge. Um and then he finds he manages to finally get the dime and return it uh, just in time for for Scrooge to burst in on uh on the kind of spot in the lobby where the where the dime where the dime is meant to be. And uh, as a reward for a hard day's work, although Scrooge obviously has no idea what a hard day's work Louis has actually been doing, <laughs> he gives him his number one dime and explains that it's not the number one dime. It's a decoy because fucking why would he keep his number one dime in the middle of, of a building that's full of lunatics um, <laughs> with no protection on it? Um, and then Louis is like very earnestly touched and very excited about how this is going to be his number one dime now like the first yeah. money he ever earned and how he can get it its own velvet cushion all this and then he immediately spends it <laughs> the soda instinct kicks in he actually yeah. puts it in the vending machine and then does the very the very dramatic no <laughs> oh very foolish little boy and then we got the the super villain setup tag which is that the insane episode tag with Gyro saying Gyro creates robots, robot gains free will, robot turns on Gyro, Gyro controls robot, Gyro is robot. What are you doing? <laughs> you are you so bitch. evil. <laughs> so evil that he decides. It's so funny. He decides to build a robot he will be in total control of, so it can't betray him, and he calls it Pl- Project Blatherskage. And it's literally it's like, so okay, so generally when something like this happens at the tag of an episode, it's the setup for a supervillain. It's not going to be ignored until it becomes an actual superhero uh, in the hands of someone else entirely to Gyro's just kind of frustration. <laughs> it's incredibly funny, but it's absolutely insane. I love it. Yes, yeah. I just, I just, I just am sincerely obsessed with the gyro gyro being set up as a supervillain which goes nowhere and it's like he's evil for no reason i love it i i love gyro as a character i think his whole character is really interesting but specifically i think his relationship to his inventions as extensions of himself um Mm -hmm. i can talk about it a little bit more when uh when della comes into the picture um but they're actually very similar in that they have kind of a kind of trouble parsing like things they create i guess in terms of children and robots uh as like more than just extensions of themselves um yeah that for gyro his uh his inventions are examples of his intellect um and his talent and he's always trying to prove something which in the context of the spirit selene is uh is again and of course Tubio is very sad that he's kind yeah. of trying to prove that he can be useful and he can be he can create something which is good and needed and helps people. Um, and his his inventions kind of continually fail because they keep gaining free will and realizing that they're being used, um, <laughs> kind of callously. Mm. Um, which is again kind of similar to like. Lil Bob is a lot like Gyro. It doesn't like being looked down on and it doesn't like being like taken for granted. Um mm. it's not a, it's not really subservient. 
Um, so, of course, something that takes after Gyro so much would bristle at being like taken for taken for granted and taken advantage of, and mm-hmm. turn. <laughs> um. <laughs> so yeah, Jar's Jar's a very fun character. I'm glad that he's finally been introduced. We've gotten to see him. Yes, it's um. I think Jaro is one of the uh, most drastic changes from the original DuckTales um, mm-hmm. in terms of, like, uh, like direct one-to-one characters. Um, I mean, obviously there's Webby, um, who has been fairly well reinvented, but she kind of, but she kind of um, has at least uh, a similar, like, she's still, like, a nice girl at the end of the day. Mm. Um, she has not, like, done a 180 in terms of her personality as much as Jaro has. Yeah, I mean, like with with Webby and the kids, it seemed to be kind of a uh, a, a thing in necessity that the yeah. that they had to give these kids some personalities. But with Gyro, it's like yeah. he had a character that they decided to just completely reverse. They decided to make him evil instead. Um, I think it's great. I love Evil Gyro, um, though I don't have a, I don't really have a reference point because I haven't watched the uh, 1987 Ducktales, so I don't have any kind of like attachment to the original nice like bumbling well-meaning altruistic inventor gyro mm-hmm. um i think evil gyro is fantastic i think he's incredible he is just a gay little bitch um and that's uh, it that's what he deserves i love gyro so much i really love gyro he is perfect yeah. um so do we have anything else to talk about for this episode um no, I think that's about it. Um, uh, nice. It's nice that we have a. This is a Louis episode, which is nice coming straight on the heels of a Huey episode. Um, yeah. Yeah, um, that's pretty much it. And then I get this is, up, I think, another example of how uh, how the reordering of Neverest has kind of served the story in that. Um, yeah. Otherwise, Huey would be very neglected in these first few episodes. The fact mm. that we go from um, a kind of. Uh, Webby-based episode to this episode, which is Louie and Dewey and Webby and Huey doesn't appear at all um, by having Neverest be mainly about Huey. Um, yeah. It really does uh, really just balance that, that whole thing out a bit more. Mm. And then next episode is... Uh, is next episode Beagle Birthday Massacre? Or, or Breakout or whatever it's called? I think I like Beagle Birthday Massacre. It is... Yes, yes, it's called the Beagle Birthday the Breakout Webby, in the in the official air order, but um, I much prefer the episode title, The Beagle Birthday Massacre, even though it's much darker. I um, think it's fantastic. So that's great, because then we have a Webby episode next. Yeah, we've got a Webby episode, and we get to meet um, our friend Lena. Our close good friend Lena. Um, oh, our fantastic, fantastic friend fantastic. Lena. And then after that, we're going to get to meet Gladstone. Woo! Oh, yeah. Oh, that is one thing I wanted to say about this episode, is that um, obviously Louis is the, you know, the Gladstone triplet. He's the green one. He's the, the one yeah. who likes luxury. He is also the anti-Gladstone because he went up many, many stairs in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> he proved himself good at it. Um, <laughs> I love it. Uh, <laughs> I can't wait to I can't wait to get to get some Gladstone episode. I can't wait to to meet Lena. Um, Lots of good stuff coming up soon. We've got some excellent stuff coming up, and we've got uh, we've got a 
we've already got a, a couple a couple episodes where we get some uh, some long some long term villains. We get uh in the Beagle Birthday Massacre, we're gonna get Ma Beagle coming back. She's obviously already mm-hmm. been established, but we're gonna get some uh we're gonna get some context on on how on uh, exactly why the uh the Beagles are so against Scrooge, and we're also gonna get like. Uh, some expansion on the Beagle family that how many mm-hmm. fucking boys there are. Um, <laughs> and then after uh, the House of Lucky Gander, we're going to get the infernal internship of Mark Beeks. We're going to get oh, Mark Beeks, who was one of, the, one of the main villains. Yes. Fantastic. Oh, there's so many good episodes coming up. I'm just looking at the, the list of episodes and just... Yeah, so am I. Oh, I'm so excited. There are so many good ones coming up. Because the thing is, DuckTales 2017 is a very, very good show. Yeah. Um, we also get the, uh, we're going to, after the Mark Beast, we're going to get the Living Memories of Tothra, which is one of my favorite episodes just for, um, how fucking dark some of the jokes are. Um, <laughs> yeah. Absolutely, and also we get this, uh, the really interesting pair, pair up of, uh, of Louie and Webby, uh, which is, yes. I think going to be a very kind of rich character mine. Um, mm. we get an absolutely hilarious joke in that of, uh, of Louie opening up the jar thinking there's jar- treasure inside. <laughs> and and then... <laughs> gagging and he goes don't look in that jar and Webby opens it up and goes oh cool a kidney <laughs> yeah. oh so much good stuff in store yeah um so um yeah i think that's our i think that's uh i think that's about it for uh the great dime chase unless you had anything else to follow up on no i think that is it good episode well yeah um in that case i would like to uh, I would love to take a little bit of a journey to a place that I think I think we've only mentioned it once on this show, which mm-hmm. is um, the Feathery Society, oh. which is um, uh, the it's 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 a, a fan forum for the Disney comics, which is the very expansive array of comics that have been published for a very long time, mainly focusing on uh, you know Donald Duck, Scrooge McDuck. Mickey Mouse, I think, a little bit um, goofy. Mm-hmm. You know, generally those characters. Um, and uh, so, it, so because it is mainly focusing on the Disney comics, they are coming at things from a perspective of being fans of the comics. Mm-hmm. And so they, of course, have many opinions on DuckTales 2017. Of course. And I'm going to, I'm going to drop the link to the thread in Discord. Mm-hmm. And I would love for you to come to this thread with me and we could just take a look at some of the first reactions um, from the Feathery Society to the DuckTales 2017 reboot. So these were these were reactions that were coming out like as like the first announcements were being made, as the first promo images were coming out. And so <laughs> these are the kind of people's just like off-the-cuff reactions to the images, mm-hmm. um, the announcements, the casting, what, pe- what they were expecting, what they were excited for, what they weren't excited for. And um, they have many interesting opinions on DuckTales 2017. <laughs> what I really, really like about the Feathery Society is that I really don't like the Feathery Society. <laughs> I really like that the Feathery Society is like our polar opposites in that they just yes. really, really dislike um, all the new things that are happening in DuckTales. Yes. Um, and also that I think, I think like there are a dark counterpart they're the feathery society and we're the feathery society, you know? Exactly. I mean, to their credit, they do also love feathery. Um, so they do have that going for them. But mm-hmm. it's still, it's still, um, they are still, they are still uh, the anti-us. Um, 
unfortunately. I, I do like that they've pointed out like the the cartoon, uh, the 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 comic book style of uh, of Ducktales 2017 because it really is one of my favorite things about their specific art direction here. Is that they've got yeah. this very dynamic art style that we talked about that in our in our pilot episode. Um, mm. Yeah, I do. By the way, it's something I just like. This is not about their opinions on the on the Ducktales reboot. I just would like to point you point your attention towards the um like the titles because under under people's usernames, so you can have titles such as Duckling, and then you can also have Small Duck and I'm look- uh, like Big, big duck. duck. I'm looking at I Big really Duck. I really like Big Duck. I'm a big fan of Big Duck. Um, big Duck uh, under the username Barbar Jinx, um, which seems to be Jar Jar Binks dressed up as Donald Duck, uh, which is very interesting. Yeah, I'm looking at the post directly <laughs> underneath that one by Scrooge MacDuck, and I'm obsessed with Where, and the Scrooge bad Mac things. Scrooge MacDuck hates everything. Hates everything. The bad things. You got all excited that Donald is wearing his black suit with his DuckTales hat. Well, I'm going to tell you what. It doesn't look remotely good. And you know why? Because there's no blue on him. Fucking I <laughs> I love a Donald Duck who's not wearing any blue is not Donald Duck. I am <laughs> obsessed with this person getting so upset over colors. I love I really like this person's like this person's this person like doesn't want to say good things about this Ruby. They have two good things, both of which are like one sentence. And then they're bad things. There's four bad things, all of which are multiple sentences and are things like they redesigned Webby, bah, because her whole point was she was a cute, almost toddler girl. If they're not going to bring this Webby back, they might as well create another one. And it's like, it's, calm down. She was a bad character. Sorry. Like, yeah. She was like a cute little girl. She was a bad character, though. I do love the admin pointing out that they're calling it a reboot, so if I were you, I wouldn't sweat it expecting any attempts at keeping continuity with anything. It's a new show, which, like, yes. also, Jubal Pop likes this. Yes, I noticed that. <laughs> He's back! But then they're getting, People this person is getting so fucking mad. This person sucks. Scrooge MacDuck hates, like, like hates everything. Scrooge MacDuck is obsessed with continuity, which seems like a very odd thing to be obsessed about. If you are a fan of Disney comics, which are written by multiple authors and go over multiple continuities, um, uh, which is just, I don't know, interesting to me. I love it. I absolutely love how, um, how, like, I hate to say it, how scroogey this person is. Like, Christmas <laughs> Scrooge, not DuckTales Scrooge. Mm-hmm. This person is bah humbugging, like, everything. Literally, literally, in the text, they're saying bah! It's I so know. funny! <sighs> oh. It's very funny. I love that. They're also pointing out, where is Launchpad McQuack? And it's like, it, it's like this, at this point, they are commenting on a single promo image of, um... Of the triplets, Webby, Scrooge, and Donald in um in like a jeep, and it's like this is one promo image. Do you think this is every character that's in the show? I know it, 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 they don't know do what promo the, images are. They really don't. They think that this is the extent of the TV show, and um, I I worry for some of these people's like um uh imagination and uh sense of expectation. I absolutely love um, this because there's one person here who says. I think a full-blown reboot is the best idea, as the series won't have to align to stories from 30, year ago, 30 years ago. A fresh start is the way to go, which is totally correct, right? And then mm-hmm. fucking our friend Scrooge MacDuck. I really, really, really don't agree. I couldn't agree any less. Consistency is a very <laughs> important thing for me. There's a reason I love all the references Don Rosa makes and his historical details in Life and Times. 
if they are intending it as a reboot, I just hope they won't put in too many inconsistencies so I can work up a headcanon of how it can fit with the new series. Calm down. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> it's fine. I hate this person. It's like, it's literally fine. I really, I just love this. I love, I love, I love the recurring characters in this, in this thread. Um, I'm a big fan of, of Scrooge MacDuck. Um, I really like, uh, that Scrooge MacDuck has admitted, to be fair, at Launchpad might be in the show since this is just a single concept art, but the fact that he's apparently not adventuring with the ducks implies that he probably won't be one of the primary members of the gang like he used to be. This is one image! It's one I picture! Love it so much. This person's getting so fucking mad about, uh, about Webby because they're somehow are convinced that they're a, that she's a toddler in the original, which she's just not. Mm. Yeah, that's a lie. That's not true. Yeah, it literally just isn't. I'm gonna skip. I'm gonna skip forward a bit and see if we can get up to uh, and see if we can get back to like when the actual episode came out. Hold on, I'm gonna search for Gyro. Actually, somebody has brought up a very unsettling comic where Gyro is coloured like flesh pink. Ew. Um, and he does look he does just genuinely look like a completely featherless bird or just like some kind of like fucked chicken. up human yeah he does like kind of look like a fucked up like ugly human um which is interesting uh and people are also complaining about uh um making uh Fenton's surname double barreled which is like there are, there are more hills to die on than adding another surname to a character like fine calm down Oh yeah, especially when they're doing it to uh, to specify that to both like add content to like make it incredibly clear that he is a Latino character while mm-hmm. not taking away his original surname as a tribute mm-hmm. to exactly these type of people who fucking hate. Yes, it. exactly. They, Jesus, these Christ. people are impossible to please. It's very funny. They're so um, everybody's <laughs> everybody's really mad about Jairo. They're like. My God, I can't believe they made Jaro evil and fucked up. I I hope he's not a mad scientist. Why do scientists always have to be mad? Um, Every, everyone's really mad that they were putting in Ma Beagle instead of Grandpa Beagle because they hate women. <laughs> People are mad about everything. Is the thing there is um there's a, a um an article which is like uh releasing a bunch of more character designs which has like Gyro, Goldie, Glomgold, uh, a few other people in it. Um, and everybody's so mad about it. It's like I hate, I hate Flintheart Gongol being a fat Scottish man. Gladstone's fine, I guess. Why doesn't he have spats? Goldie looks fucking terrible. I hate this. And it's like, <laughs> it's That's a reboot. They're not you. going to look the same. You don't have to watch cartoons if you're not enjoying them. <laughs> oh my god! And then the most insane theory that people have brought up is that Mark Beeks is a stand-in for John Rockaduck. <gasps> I love people how genuine these people are. People are genuinely like, um, oh my god, sorry, Scrooge MacDuck shows up again. I am hating this reboot more and more. Jarrow is manic? No, he's not. Scrooge is not gold obsessed? Come on. Gorgon <laughs> is an overweight in-universe knockoff of Scrooge? No, he is not. His entire point is that he's every bit like Scrooge except evil. If you wanted to do this type of character, either take Rocket Up or just make up someone new. Gladstone's design wraps me the wrong way for some reason. This Goldie could be interesting, though I'm still angry at the changes. I think I could get behind a new character, whereas I doubt I'll lack any Glomgold at all. He's just so mad. Calm down. 
I love seeing Scrooge MacDuck being so mad about this. Also, another minor thing they get mad about, whether the character's eyes, like, connect to their beak, that's something that they're pissed about. Okay, um, so this is actually kind reason. of interesting, right? Because I looked into this a bit, and that tends to be a way in the Don Rosa comics and those kind of comics, which these people are fucking, like, jacking off to constantly, it seems like. Um mm-hmm. But it seems to be a way to distinguish species. Like Feathery's uh, eyes don't connect to his beak because he's half a loon, and mm-hmm. whenever loons are drawn in the in the uh, cartoons, like his mother, their eyes don't connect to the beak, but only the duck's eyes connect to the beak. So, oh, okay, interesting. Yeah, and it's just like they should be able to go. Okay, so they're not following this particular design because they're adapting the designs because it's a reboot, and instead mm-hmm. are just going insane over it. Hmm. People love to be insane about DuckTales. You are so bad. Um, they are like a... There seems to be... In general, there seems to be more positive or at least neutral mixed feelings about it. But the people like Scrooge and MacDuck are just so funny to me. Where they're like, I hate this. This sucks. I hate this. This is awful. Terrible. Um, uh, they, 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 they do seem to have like very little faith. In the showrunners and like um, Frank, they they have um, posts from from Frank's Tumblr where people are asking about, you know, the Duck Family tree, like like if Donald's mom is going to show up or or like you know, if if Scrooge's parents are going to show up, and then Frank replies, "We are very familiar with the Duck Family tree," and people are like, oh, "Okay, well, my faith is suddenly restored a little bit," and it's like, can you have just a little bit of like faith in the people that are running this reboot that they care about the content, like? Can you can you just believe in the goodness of people for two seconds and not think that they're out to get you? I I love how angry these people are and they're watching DuckTales. They're so mad. They're so angry. It's so funny to me. It's so funny. What's wrong with these people? What else have we got? I'm still like in like the search in the gyro. Um Okay, Scrooge McDuck is, is turning a corner because, okay, so the main theme was released, like the, the, the intro, and Scrooge McDuck is um, turning a corner. Okay, I really like this animation style. I like all the Easter eggs, both to the box comics and to the original show's intro, but looks like there's going to be a lot of supernatural stuff in this. I'm okay with it, but Tumblebee might not be, methinks. By God, what did they do to Mrs. Beakley? Why did she suddenly turn into a bodybuilder? Webby, I could understand, but for her, Glomgold or Gyro, why can't they leave well enough alone? Again, on the Flying Dutchman, apparently it's physically there, so presumably the show's treatment of the Dutchman will not have the same solution as Bach's. Perhaps I'll fly with, combine it with a Flying Scott. This, nobody cares! Nobody, nobody cares! cares. Uh... Nobody cares! Please get a hobby. I know we're making a podcast about DuckTales, but these people need a hobby. <laughs> these people are mad that the Beagle Boys don't have numbers, and that they look different from each other. <sighs> Maybe it's because, um... That would be painful to animate and to plan a story around if they looked identical. Did you? Have... Hey, um, had you considered that character design is a good thing? Actually, they're so mad about any character design that wasn't done by Carol Barks. Yeah, people are people are mad about. I think people just are mad about everything new, and I think that uh, um, I think that they will be. I think they will get like used to it as it goes on, but um, they're just mad about it. Ooh. Ooh, ooh, we have somebody's, in the middle of this, we have somebody's age theories. I am looking at somebody's theory that Scrooge and Goldie have both time-traveled forward in time to explain how they're, like, so crazy older to have lived (laughs) through the gold rush. When, 
they seem to have missed the very obvious just like they're old as fuck <laughs> they are old they're just old it's fine oh i just i just really oh my god jaru is so out of character for god's sake that's not cool more than out of character it's the opposite character um yeah, this isn't Gyro. Gyro is humble, self-effacing, and understated. This character is brash, arrogant, condescending, and full of himself. Like, yeah, he's a bitch. It's great. It's funny. <laughs> the the admin that seems to be participating in this thread is continuously just like, yeah, this is it's a it's a different cartoon. It's fine. Yeah, but you have to keep coming in and reminding people that what a reboot is. <laughs> this is a different cartoon. Relax, please. They're really, really mad that this that this cartoon isn't going through each of the uh, comics and animating them panel by panel. They're so mad that this isn't the same cartoon that came out in 1987, I guess. Yeah, and also that it's not that it isn't exactly aligned to every detail in the comics when the comics contradicted each other all the time because the writers <laughs> are all different. <laughs> mm hmm Oh god, I am um I'm a big fan of. Oh, I haven't. I don't think I mentioned this, but um, one of the big things that people are mad about is that the triplets are separate characters and that they have separate voice actors, which is so funny to me. That's Why so are you funny. mad about that? It's a. It's like it's so like it. It it doesn't like okay. In the original Ducktales, in Ducktales 1987, where they didn't really need to have a character because it wasn't like character driven. It was fun adventures that they went on. That's fine. This is so clearly so clearly going to be a modern cartoon which are by and large character driven they can't be the same guy they can't be the same dude split into three that won't work but people are just so mad they're like I hope the triplets don't have separate personalities that would fucking suck it's like what are you talking about why would that suck it, it, it the, the attitude of so many people here just makes no sense I am so obsessed with like just this particular type of fan in general i've talked about this a little bit but they take like original canon as like gospel like it wasn't created mm -hmm. by a person and that it can't be flawed and that it like dictates exactly how everything should go at all times like mm -hmm. again i talked about this a little bit before we started recording um, the classic example is, of course, this teenage girl has to be totally nude because the plot demands that she has that if she wears clothes, the world will explode. Um, yeah. <laughs> so if someone didn't write the plot that way, that it's not like you can still say, hey, that's bad. And someone coming back at you saying, well, the plot demands it is also fucking stupid and doesn't understand media <laughs> because <laughs> someone wrote the plot that way. And it's like, it's not real. <laughs> It's not real. And this is the kind of the same thing where all these people are taking all the original Don Rosa and Carl Barks and all of the other um all of the other comics as uh, as kind of gospel and having been like flawless um because it's old and it's the original so it has to be good and not like Yeah. Yeah, it was fucking badly written or like it it just won't adapt well into this particular kind of uh in, into what we're what we're trying to achieve here is not going to work <laughs> and also what is the point of rebooting something exactly the same as it was before <laughs> just dovetails over again <laughs> nostalgia is such a powerful poison in these people's brains where they're like Oh, I would like that. They, on like, where they're like, oh, the idea of a Ducktales reboot—that sounds great, but only if it's exactly like the original. And that's just what you understand. Again. 
Yeah, if you can go and watch it, it still exists. Like, the <laughs> remaking a series doesn't delete the original from existence. <laughs> like, my god, you're adult, you're adult people, get over yourself. You're adult people, and then the other thing, you're adult people, this is a show for children. I want you to, okay, I know that we are, we are, we are in our 20s analyzing this children's cartoon. I am perfectly well aware of that. Oh, I'm just I saying, know. these people being, these people being mad about a reboot of a cartoon not catering to them is so funny and so mm-hmm. pathetic, really. Because at the end of the day, what they don't realize, because in, in these early days when they're criticizing it and they're like, oh, it's not going to have this, it's not going to have that, Jarrah's completely different, it's going to be so unfaithful. What they don't realize is, this actually is a cartoon for them as well. This is a cartoon that has a billion Easter eggs and has a bunch of other Disney comics properties in it and like, like other like um, Disney like afternoons and stuff in it. It is actually a cartoon for you as well, but from the get-go, they're just so threatened by the the idea of change that they're like, no, this is going to suck because Gyro is yeah. a bitch now. And yeah. if you opened your eyes, then you would notice that this is a really nice reboot done by people who are huge fans of the original series who are so excited to bring this to a new audience and also have things that will interest the original fans. But, oh, they're just, just so funny. Like, they're so mad. Do something new. Like, and they're, they're doing a really new. good job. They're trying to tell a story here. You can't tell a story if you're constantly sticking to a bunch of, like, fucking largely racist comics. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what the fuck? Mm-hmm. Oh, I think we should wage war on the Feathery Society. I really think we should. I think that this is, um, I think that this might become our, um, a Reddit where we have <laughs> the Feathery Society? Oh my god, can we actually though? I don't think I don't know whether we know enough to be able to to be able to slip in under the under the <laughs> under the door here. I feel like okay, I feel like we could do it with our knowledge that we cobble together from the Scrooge McDuck fan wiki. I feel like we could pass ourselves off as, as Disney Comics fans. Yeah. I think this could be a really fun project. <laughs> I think this is something we should work on in between episodes. I agree. Um, yeah, I think this could be fun because I think mm-hmm. I think the Feathery Society is going to make me very, very angry. Um, <laughs> I think there's lots of good material to be found here. I think this is great. Oh my god. I am obsessed uh, with this person saying also dot 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 quack faster and showing a still from the promo of her t- holding the cutlass <laughs> about to attack. <laughs> Very confused here. Uh, really good. Fantastic, honestly. I love it. Yeah, uh, so yeah, so next week we're watching uh, the Beagle Birthday Massacre or the Beagle Birthday Breakout, depending on where you're watching it. Depending on um, how violent you're feeling. <laughs> depending on how evil you are. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, uh, very, very excited for this episode. It's our Lena episode. Lena! So um, yeah. Do you want to take us to the close? Uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's finish up. If you have any information regarding Dimwitty's disappearance or any information that might lead to his capture, let us know at Dear Dimwitty on Twitter or email us at DearDimwitty at gmail.com. Or if you want to talk to us about DuckTales, that's fine too.